Welcome to Behave Intelligently, an uncensored exploration of behavior in the workplace, life, and the larger world. Behave Intelligently is co-hosted by fellow behavioral enthusiasts, Jay Johnson and Mark Garrison, and produced by the amazingly talented team at CoES Creative Group. Thank you for joining this week's edition, where we're going to talk about health literacy as it applies to mental health. So Mark, we're continuing on our uh, structure of focusing on mental health. This is May's our Mental Health Awareness Month. And uh, the last episode, we talked a lot about self-care. And in this one, we are looking at a concept of health literacy. Is that something that, you know, obviously before the, the research that we've done for the show, is that something that jumped out at you? Or is that something that maybe a family member would know if you threw that term at them? No, the term uh, I was not real familiar with. And I don't really think anyone in my family would know the term. Um, when I kind of break it down and just look at the word literacy, and I, I it's knowledge, right? Knowledgeable. Um, so I think I have family members that may have had some health knowledge, but may not have put it in the, the term of health literacy. I think that's, this is one of the most interesting things about this concept. I was actually introduced to health literacy when I was studying the graduate, uh, the graduate program for health communications. And I actually assumed that this was a medical term, something that doctors and nurses and social workers would be intimately familiar with. And uh, when the Wayne State University Institute of Gerontology started to have me do trainings on health literacy for healthcare practitioners. In the very first one, we've got like 60 people sitting in there from a wide variety of different uh, healthcare institutions. And I asked the question, how many of you have heard the term health literacy? Guess how many hands went up? Maybe one. The, literally one hand went up in a room. It was like, yeah, we heard it in passing on, on this as a concept. And they were spot on. So they, you know, they were accurate with what they had heard. But this is a not widespread used term. And if you're listening with us today and going, what the hell is health literacy? You're not alone. And it's not something, uh, it's not something that I think is widespread. Now, it's starting to get a little bit more traction but you know, I'll give you a clinical definition or you can give the clinical definition in just a moment. We're gonna apply health literacy concepts to mental health in service to that, uh, May being that mental health awareness. So my mother was somebody that had very, very low health literacy and she was not, she wasn't unintelligent. She was actually a very, very intelligent woman. She was able to do a whole host of things, including advancing in her career with but a high school education. Uh, however, when it came to things like health, there were certain behaviors that would indicate very, very low health literacy. So for example, um, and my guess is that you might know somebody like this. If God forbid that woman ever had to go to the doctor. Uh, she just wouldn't do it. She literally, uh, she had to be at the very, 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 very end of a terrible sickness to even consider going to the doctors, just didn't like doing it. So if she did have to go to the doctor, what she would do is if she was prescribed, say, an antibiotic, she would take half of it until she was feeling better. And then she would put the rest of that antibiotic into the cupboard. 
and she would hold on to it. So the next time that she got sick with those same symptoms, uh, she could pull that out and use it. So if you opened up her cupboard, it looked like a pharmacy. And, you know, that's that would be an example of low health literacy and its application to like the healthcare systems or institutions. When we think about it in terms of mental health, there's a lot of cross applications that I think that we can go into. But do you want to offer a working definition so that way people uh, listening can really kind of contextualize what we're going to talk about today and how that applies? Sure. So the definition we're working with, health literacy is the degree to which individuals have the capacity to obtain, process, and understand basic health information and services needed to make appropriate health decisions. So I think there's a lot to unpack there, right? How can we as individuals obtain the right information? So maybe not going to the first internet resource that we find called medicaldoctorforyou.com and diagnosing ourselves with, you know, Ebola uh, rather than, you know, hey, I, I have a little bit of a cough. So being able to get to the right information, to be able to process it, so being able to understand it. Now, I don't know about you, but have you ever read the side of like a prescription package and want to, it's almost as bad as like reading the side of a processed food, all the chemicals and everything else and the warnings and so on and so forth. So processing can be a challenge and then understanding it. So being able to not only process it, but being able to apply it to make the right kind of health decisions. That's really sort of the crux of health literacy. So what does that mean in terms of mental health? The same thing, being able to obtain the right information, to understand the right information regarding our mental health and well-being, to be able to process it, to be able to essentially break it down into its finer components, and then to be able to use and understand that to apply it to make the best mental health decisions for us. So. Before we go any further, I do want to give this caveat. If you are suffering from depression, if you are in a place where you're feeling overwhelming sadness, depression, grief, or anything else like that, we're putting the, the mental health hotline, the suicide hotline into the show. We are not clinical psychologists. We encourage you to get that type of professional help. Uh, which can be absolutely life-changing and transformational. We did want to throw that caveat out there right now. Uh, what we're going to talk about is more of a behavioral application of some of these health, uh, you know, health literacy principles in terms of our health and well-being. You know, I'd really like to start with talking about obtaining the the information. Um, I'm assuming you're not talking about Google search going to WebMD, talking to your friend that, you know, may have had a similar experience or uh, your friend who sees a uh, therapist or a psychologist or psychiatrist or doctor of any of sort and doing whatever they're told to do, right? And so what is that first step in obtaining? How would you approach that? Yeah, so if we're going to talk about maybe some, you know, health and well-being in terms of let, let's contextualize it. Let's say that I suffer from seasonal uh, affective disorder, which is basically depression that is often stemmed from 
uh, you know, the winter season or the winter months. And well, us being based in Michigan, where we have a lot of gray months in the winter season, that's a pretty, I don't want to say popular, but common item. Yeah, lots of gray, um, very little sunshine, which means that your body's not getting enough vitamin D, which also means it has an impact on your sleep cycles and so on and so forth. So how would I learn more about seasonal uh, affective disorder or, you know, seasonal depression is what is more commonly called. Well, I, yeah, I can go onto WebMD and I might be able to get a little bit of information. The question for me is always, where does the credibility come from? So on different aspects, one of the things, one of the resources that I love to point people to and that I love to use personally is Johns Hopkins University. They have a host of resources on there that are all up to date with medical science. Sometimes it's a little harder to read than the colloquialism of some of the different ones that you'd find online or the 10 best tips to be able to uh, eliminate seasonal affective disorder or anything like that. So uh, that's where I would look at questions of credibility. Um, I also, in terms of obtaining, just because, say, say you also suffer from it, Mark, and you went to a professional and was uh, given some different uh, opportunities, uh, whatever those opportunities are, those opportunities, those professionals customize a lot of those programs for individuals. So that program's customized for you. It's the same with like medicine. You may be given one antibiotic and I may be given a different antibiotic for the exact same uh, for the exact same condition. But my body is going to react to this one differently than your body is going to react to it and vice versa. So, you know, hearing it from a friend or saying, hey, I've had that experience, that can be valuable because it can be affirming. It can be acknowledgement. It can be uh, enough to generate curiosity. But typically when you're trying to obtain, really question the sources and, you know, listen to yourself in some cases. Your body's very, very good at telling you what's wrong when we listen to it. That That is part of health literacy as well. Okay. Well, that makes sense. And just because something works for me doesn't mean it's always going to work for someone else. And so really finding that customized solution for, you know, your situation, your body, your mind um, really makes sense. Yeah, and don't get me wrong. There's plenty of uh, psychology today is another resource that can you, you can look at that has peer review that has a lot of articles on a wide variety of mental health and well-being topics. Whether it's depression, whether it's dealing with a narcissist in your life, whether it's uh, burnout or overworking yourself. So just make sure wherever you're obtaining the information, ask yourself a couple of questions. Number one. Is this popular or is this credible? Well, what makes something credible? You know, if everybody's reading it, then it must be credible. No, that's not how it works. Uh, but you can look at things like, is it peer reviewed? Is it something that um, the person that's communicating it has the accurate credentials to be making such claims? You know, are you uh, reading the blog of a prominent psychologist? Are you reading the blog of a neuroscientist? So you can look for those kind of credibility markers when you're obtaining information, or you can obtain the information directly from a professional, somebody who is a psychologist or who is a, uh, you know, a person who is in that space. 
if you're obtaining information from an online space or anything else, always remember exactly what you said, to take it with just a little bit of a grain of salt, only because they're reading to a general public and a specific application to you as an individual may be slightly different and it may have a different impact. Some people love meditation as a solution for some of their different challenges. Some people can't really do it. They're not, you know, they're not going to get the benefit out of it per se until they practice it. They will get the benefit. I, I reject that statement. They will get the benefit out of it, but they need to practice it first. <laughs> so. Well, that makes sense. So how does health literacy impact someone on a, on a regular basis? What, what can they do? Yeah, so when we think about health literacy, one of the most important pieces is to recognize where we might be deficient, okay? So, and I think that we can look at some of the impacts of having low, low health literacy. And this is you know true in the mental health space. So for example, um, it is very, very well documented that people with low health literacy tend to shuff off any kind of preventative care. So we're not in crisis yet, uh, we're feeling good, we're feeling happy, and therefore we're not taking care of some of those things that could be taken care of in advance. This is often true even, like I said, in the, we'll call it the, the biological area. I'm feeling healthy, why should I exercise or why should I eat healthy or why should I you know, count my calories or anything else because I'm feeling healthy right now. That, that's generally something that ends up leading to challenges later. So um, preventative care could be things like in that seasonal affective disorder, starting to take vitamin D when our daytimes are starting to diminish or when we're not getting enough sunlight. Um, preventative care could look like going for those walks or making sure that we're getting enough sleep and enough vegetables in our diet and so on and so forth to be able to uh, make sure that, you know, essentially we're not letting ourselves get to that end point of crashing or full-on depression and so on and so forth. So maybe planning um, to regularly do meditation or time to uh, decompress uh, after work or something like that. Yeah, I mean, all of those are preventative care. When we think about stress, anxiety, and all of those things, it's not like, you know, think about almost as a glass, and that glass is going to fill up. And preventative care is something that can slow that glass from filling up. Now, again, if you're talking about truly clinical psychological issues, that's where you need to have uh, an appointment with a licensed psychologist and somebody that's going to be able to, or a psychiatrist that's going to be able to dig into some of those. We're talking about more of those sort of uh, burnout aspects, or we're talking more about some of those just like everyday uh, practices. Yeah, exactly. Everyday human practices. So just want to make sure that we're drawing that distinction there. But yeah, meditation is a great preventative measure. In fact, it's something that can be essentially prescribed in that professional setting or, uh, you know, deep breathing exercises. All of those are going to be in service to not letting something get completely out of control. So say we do everything for preventative care. Um, but 
we maybe feel something's not quite working and, and maybe uh, symptoms or conditions uh, are getting a little worse. Um, would that be like early detection? Is there something that can be done there? Well, and it's interesting that you mentioned early detection because this is also something that is associated with low health literacy is that uh, instead of managing something in its infancy, it gets to a point of, oh my gosh, now it's a critical situation. And my very personal story on this, and, and you know this story, but my mother had double pneumonia for the better part of two months. And uh, was so stubborn about going to the hospital that, you know, on Friday when things weren't looking good, my, my dad, my sister really pushed her and said, you, you, you probably need to go. And she snapped back. I'm fine. I'm good. Same thing on Saturday. And she was a tough old bird. So she wasn't somebody that was going to be pushed around. And she snapped back at them. No, I'm fine. I'm fine. On Sunday, unfortunately, her body went into total shock and spent the next eight days in the ICU with sepsis and everything else like that. This is a condition that could have been managed and ultimately cost her her life. And this was something that part of the reason, like my motivation behind studying this concept of health literacy, because when we understand it, it truly can save lives. Um, but when we think about early detection, are we monitoring our, our mental health and well-being? Are we uh, are we recognizing there's certain times of the year, there's certain days, or there's certain things that are triggering deep sadness and deep emotional reactions, uh, triggering grief? Because if we don't manage those, and that's really what this is about, is making the right decisions to manage those uh, situations, they compound. And, you know, oftentimes they don't just go away on their own. We have to sort through those emotions. We have to sort through those feelings. That's what helps us get to the other side of them. You know, just pushing a feeling down or repressing it uh, generally does not work too well because it tends to surface somewhere else in our life. So detecting them early alongside of some of that prevention is something that people with higher health literacy is much more equipped to do. Now, I think something like early detection and um, what would be called health status reporting kind of go hand in hand. If you don't really understand how to report your current health status, can you, can you really detect something early? Yeah, you know, and if, if from the corporate or life world, in some cases, it's called emotional intelligence, being in touch with your emotions and being able to communicate them. I mean, like, just think about some of the words that we use. This is where communication really comes into play to some of these health literacy concepts. Think of all of the words that you can use as synonyms for something like angry. I feel angry, frustrated, pissed off, uh, toss them out there. I mean, there's so many different ways for us to nuance that emotional feeling of anger, mad, perturbed. Those are the types of things that emotional intelligence talking about when we have a larger uh, communication vocabulary to be able to communicate the nuances of each of those behaviors. That gives us a better chance to report them. So that health status reporting that you refer to I'm feeling very frustrated right now. Not, I'm angry and I'm gonna blow up, or you know, I'm perturbed by this situation that I'm encountering at work. 
being able to report that not even just to a professional, but to yourself to understand those pieces can be hugely impactful in taking the right steps to be able to sort of write those emotions or to change those emotions. Now, when it comes to like health status reporting, I'm glad I have a very strong earth preference in me <laughs> um, because when it comes to reporting of any nature, whether it's the quality of my internet connection to my internet service provider or my own health, I tend to pay attention to a lot of details. And so if I go into my doctor and say, this is bothering me, or, or I've got these symptoms, I can say, this symptom was at this level on this day, on this day, it increased or decreased, it changed, whatever it might be, and I can go boom, 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 through a list of details or stages or steps. I got to imagine that's probably a, a, a pretty strong grasp on health status reporting, but that helps me go to my medical professional and say, hey, here's what's going on. Here's the change. Because when I go into the doctor, you know, he's seeing me at one snapshot in time. And I know through a series of questions, he's trying to get a big, bigger picture. But if I'm just like, oh, this hurt, how long has it hurt? Uh, for a while. Well, how long is a while, you know, where I can say it went from a, a level two to four, you know, on these days. Those, those kinds of details, I think, are really critical in being self-aware of. Yeah, and I can assure you, your doctor loves you for that because you are able to sort of nuance those details. And that's, you know, in the application of health literacy to the mental space, that is something that can be really critical is, all right, I'm noticing uh, my feelings of sadness today are at a level three. And, you know, maybe documenting that, putting that in your planner, putting that in your journal, whatever it is, and being able to kind of keep an eye and, and track some of those different things, particularly when we're feeling mentally under the well-being weather, right? And, and being able to look at some of those details. Well, I'm noticing it when I'm going into the office or I'm noticing it right before I go to bed. I notice it if I'm having a couple of cocktails and I start to, you know, have these sort of intense feelings or these intense emotions that sort of spring up. All of those different tracking pieces, uh, how much are we sleeping? How much are we, uh, you know, utilizing? And when I say substances, I don't mean to make that in a, a sound negative, but how many different, you know, uh, chemicals are we putting into our body? And that could even be food chemicals, right? Uh, fried food or something of that nature. What are those triggers that may be uh, helping to exacerbate whatever feelings we might be having. So kudos to you on that. I mean, that's, that's a great example of very, very high health literacy, uh, being able to advocate and communicate that to a practitioner or even to yourself that you can then look at and say, okay, I know I'm at a two now. I was at a three here. I was at a nine when this occurred. Helpful to the physician, but also helpful to your overall general well-being. Well, yeah, because it even, you know, it'll reduce some stress if I go, okay, I, it seems to be getting better or this is improving and I'm not as worried about it, you know, and so that that's where it helps me just as much as it might help them with the situation. Now, what about people who, you know, maybe struggle with that or uh, feel ashamed to admit something in terms of their um, mental situation. Sure. 
you know, it's interesting because stigmatization is a huge problem uh, and it had it, it's very much impacted from a health literacy standpoint. You know, typically people that show low on health literacy scales uh, tend to really suffer from stigma and shame. They may choose to hide different aspects of their uh, conditions or their ailments. And this is true both in the biological or physical health world, as well as the mental health area. You know, when, when somebody says, I, I shouldn't feel this way, I don't have a right to feel this way, or gosh, I'm just being weak. All of those statements, those are in service to stigma and shame. And that is definitely something that, uh, you know, when we find somebody making those statements, we as human beings or somebody can help them sort of get past those and, and say, you know, this isn't something for you to be ashamed about. This is, uh, you know, a chronic, are you ashamed about getting a cold? Are you ashamed about, uh, you know, contracting, knock on wood, that it's not coronavirus, but that's not something that you should be ashamed about. It's something that, uh, needs to be brought to the surface. So that way you're accurately reporting your health status or your mental health status and able to take measures to uh, help rectify whatever the challenge or whatever the emotional situation might be. So, you know, uh, feeling ashamed or stigmatized because you are experiencing grief longer than other people or that you are experiencing uh, burnout faster than other people that could be an example of uh, mental health, low literacy that you can overcome with some, you know, with some support and with some practice and, and kind of giving yourself a little grace and forgiving yourself uh, for having feelings and being a human being because we all have them at different points in time. What's an activity that someone who might be uh, struggling with uh, stigma or shame how could they maybe deal with that or overcome that? You know, one of the ways that I have seen people do this, there's large, there's larger scales, right? You can always look for it. There are seasonal affective disorder support groups. You can find that support group that maybe is going through the same thing. Like uh, I'll give another example. Um, you know, there's an entire network for uh, siblings, brothers and sisters of people who have severe uh, disabilities. So there's an entire sibling support group that uh, has online channels that talk to each other, that allow each other to share, you know, in a safe manner because it's people that are experiencing something similar. So there's a little bit easier connection there. Uh, the whole concept of that is being able to find a space where you feel safe in order to be able to communicate. So is there somebody that you feel safe enough to say, you know what, I'm, I'm really struggling right now. I'm, I'm having some struggles. Maybe starting that conversation in that safe space with that person. Keeping in mind that maybe this is going, you know, being able to open up there, not facing the criticism, not facing all of those fears that are generally illogical when it comes to some of the stigmatization and shame. You know, that's something that I would maybe suggest to start off with. Start where you're safe, start where you're comfortable. And if you don't have that, use one of the anonymous numbers to connect with somebody. You don't even have to tell them your name. You can just call them and tell them how you're feeling on certain things. So if it's at an extreme, take action immediately. Um, but if it's one of those things where you're just 
maybe you're a little nervous to share it because people might look at you different or you feel like people will look at you different. We are all human. We all have uh, exhaustions, burnouts, emotional situations uh, that we have virtually no control over. And for anybody to tell you differently uh, is, is, I don't want to call them a liar and be so strong in my framework there, but everybody handles different things and they handle it differently and that's okay. That's totally acceptable. Find a safe space, have a conversation. If you can't find that safe space, reach out to a professional or do one of the anonymous places. You can also, like I said, join the support group. Those uh, that, that maybe has a similar situation that you can feel heard and acknowledged in that situation. And a lot of times that can help just by itself, getting it out of your chest and talking about it or relaying it and feeling acknowledged and heard, that can really help out in that space. So one thing I picked up on with a lot of your, um, we'll call them applications or, or uh, best practices maybe, uh, you use the word start quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Start with this, start with that. I got to imagine starting is the first step, but sticking with it uh, longer term is, is probably a little more of a challenge. Yeah, well, and in the health literature, one of the things, say hospitals, and we'll go to the physical and sort of apply it to, the, to that mental health area as well. But like in the hospital situation, one of the things they measure is patient's adherence. So we give you a program, a intervention that's going to help you go from where you're at now to being better, you know, physically or, uh, you know, you have a cold, we want you to no longer have the cold. So they give you a prescription. Whether or not you go all the way to the end of that prescription is called adherence. And that is something that, as I mentioned in the story with my mother, who had very, very poor levels of adherence, uh, but would also, if the doctor said, did you finish that prescription? Oh, yeah, of course I did, you know, and just bold-faced lie to them. In, In the meantime, it's in the cupboard waiting for her to get sick again. Well, the problems with that are that you can create anti you know, uh, anti-viral uh, resistant strains of whatever sickness that you have. Same is kind of true in mental health. If you're not adhering to, uh, if you're not adhering to your interventions, your uh, management solutions, your uh, approaches at remedying uh, your burnout, you're going to go right back into burnout. So if I am feeling super burned out and I'm like, all right, I'm making a commitment myself today that I'm going to start exercising and I walk for the day one and I, I take a walk for day two and I take a walk for day three. And all of a sudden by day four, I'm starting to like, you know, I'm feeling much better. I can stop now. No, don't do that. Don't do that because now that walk is not just helping you to resolve it. It's not just an intervention, but it's also preventative maintenance. So yeah, you're spot on on that. It's not always just about starting it because starting it can, starting any practice, you know, those self-care practices that we talked about can really help us in the moment, right? We talked about diagnose, prevent, and treat. Well, those treatments can really help building those resilience or, you know, engaging in certain activities, but really it's just easier to manage those situations than it is to pull ourselves out of the fire. So if I'm on, if I'm nearing burnout, say my burnout tank is at hundred percent and I know for me, that means I'm, I'm working too much. I need to take a day off, uh, take a, take a me day as I call them. 
take the day off, my tank goes down to 95. I shouldn't just go right back to my regular course of overworking, right? Like it's, <laughs> hey, you know, I'm going to be at that same spot again and, and probably much sooner since I only really, you know, recovered 5% of my, my, my tank there. Yeah. And, and, and that's the thing I think that people kind of miss with the applications of health literacy, right? We can, uh, we can get ourselves to a point of stability and all right, I'm not in that throes of burnout where I'm feeling helplessness and hopelessness. I can just go back to my normal behaviors and everything's going to be okay. And the reality is, is this is why we find ourselves in cycles of the same type of emotional impact. We might find ourselves in cycles of sadness. We might find ourselves in cycles of anger or frustration or anything else. One week might be okay. The next week we might slip kind of back into it. And that's why it's really critical for us to, A, track, as we had talked about, you know, tracking where you're at. So you know that you're getting close to the cliff and not falling off the cliff. Uh, and B, making sure that those preventative things or those interventions that we're doing in order to help facilitate us out of those uh, emotional experiences, that they're not just there as a balm, but they're there as something to continually work towards to make sure that we're maintaining balance. Well, that makes a lot of sense. And I think, um, you know, we covered kind of a high level overview on what health literacy is on today's episode. I mean, we talked a little bit about how people need to have the capacity to obtain, gave some good resources on that, uh, how to maybe process or understand their basic health information. Are there any final thoughts you want to share around health literacy or mental health awareness? Yeah, I think the biggest thing for me is, and we mentioned it briefly, but I, I can't stress it enough, is having, you know, is, is finding that safe space to have conversations about how you're actually feeling, to be able to sort of sort through your emotions, your uh, feelings of wellness, your feelings of happiness, all of those different emotions, being able to sort through those, but also being able to talk them out. And, you know, there's certain instances when things are getting, the interesting thing is, is you can be, or you can feel like you have perfect mental health and that you're stable and that you feel great. And I guarantee you that talking to a professional uh, and not just us here, or not just listening here is still going to provide you value. It's still going to be a valuable experience to you. So it's not just about letting ourselves to get to that point where we have to go and see somebody because we're beyond uh, being able to manage it ourselves. At any point in time, just the willingness and the, uh, and, and I'll say it, in many cases, the courage, you know, the courage and the motivation to say, I'm going to take my health, whether it's the physical, whether it's the mental, and I'm really going to take it seriously. And I'm going to have conversations about it. I'm not going to be embarrassed about it. And that's, that's easier said than done. Um, but working through that stigma, finding that safe place to have the conversations, to let things out, to be able to talk about them. I think that's probably the best advice that I can offer to somebody. Because again, when you start to repress emotions or when you're getting to that place of not managing your emotions, that's literally the definition of burnout, not managing workplace stress, not managing workplace anxiety, uh, you know, from the occupational side. Not managing is far worse 
than just trying to take it day by day, step by step, one at a time, and utilizing hopefully some of the techniques that we've shared, but maybe you have other techniques and you'd be happy to share them with us. And you can do that at podcast at coeuscreativegroup.com. Any last words from you, Mark? You know, my only suggestion is, and this is again, my, my earth coming out, write it down, document, keep notes. What it is you need to write down may vary from person to person, but uh, being able to see some of those changes, maybe in what you're writing down or uh, how often uh, those uh, feelings or thoughts might be occurring. um, You know, I I really am an advocate for sort of documenting and, and keeping those kind of notes. And, you know, the one thing you said was, try to get over that, that stigma or that embarrassment of doing or seeing someone, the more you do it, the less that's, that's going to become a concern. It's going to be a normal day-to-day practice the same way it is with, you know, eating breakfast or dinner in a day. That's just what you do. Yeah. It's okay to not be okay. I think, you know, that was something that popped out a handful of times during the pandemic. Keep that in mind. And if you need resources, we're going to put some in the show notes for you. So uh, please, and thank you for tuning into this week's episode of Behave Intelligently, a really critical topic that we feel can really help uh, a number of people understanding that health literacy side. So if you enjoyed today's episode, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you might be listening. Let us know what you think about the episode. And you can email us your thoughts at podcast at coeuscreativegroup.com. If you want to learn more about Coeus Creative Group, please visit our website or connect with us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Tune in next time when we talk more about behaving intelligently.